Welcome to Studio Break. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's episode, I chatted with Charles Conwisher about his work, but before we get to that, I just want to extend an invitation to all MFA and BFA students that qualify. There's a 2012 competition that's open. If you want to figure out more information about it, just visit us, Studio Break, on Facebook. You can also like us there if you happen to like what you hear, so please do that as well and check it out. Aside from that, we've got a great interview today with a man who loves drawing and loves riding his bike. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. I am here with Charlie Canwisher. How are you doing this morning? Very well, thanks. Um, and as I was saying before, and we've been chatting for a little bit, you know, it's nice to kind of talk to you in this environment about actual work instead of... Um, you know, just in passing or uh, yeah, so at a, friends and that sort of stuff. Right, right, right. So um, I, I always start out, you know, just learning a little bit about where people are from. So um, if you could talk a little bit about, you know, maybe where you grew up. Um, and I'm, I'm expecting that there's going to be some some element of landscape uh, or at least something about nature <laughs> in there. So. But, but I guess we'll find out. So Sure. I, I, was, I was born in Oklahoma City uh, and... Uh, Moved to uh, Grays Lake, Illinois, north of Chicago, at age uh, seven. Um, my dad uh, taught um, painting and drawing at the College of Lake County in uh, in, in Grays Lake, and um, you know went to school, went to high school there, uh, attended the University of Iowa, uh, got a BFA degree in uh, printmaking at the University of Iowa. Then I went on to uh, the Yale University School of Art and got a degree in MFA in uh, in painting and printmaking. Um, lived in New Haven teaching a little bit after that and then wound up teaching in Massachusetts for some years after at Amherst College. Um, and uh, let's see, when about 1997, moved to Ohio, to uh, the Bowling Green area. I actually live in a town called Waterville, which is about uh, six, seven miles from, from Bowling Green, and I've been there the last, been here the last 14 years. Right, right. Well, and, and, and so, you know, I, I always try to ask, too, you know, were, were you then, you know, involved in, I don't know, I, 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 can, I don't know why, I think it's just obviously because cause so much of your work kind of, you know, at least now anyway, kind of deals with that, that idea of landscape. Um, but, I mean, were you, were you someone that kind of took to the outdoors in terms of, you know, can, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, sure. I know <laughs> um, what you're saying, and I can tell you, you know, that, you know, Grays Lake, the town where I spent most of my childhood, was a kind of funny transitional place. It was a rural village, really real rural town that was turning into a bedroom community as I was growing up, meaning that, um, you know, there were a lot of wild places to explore. It was a great place to be a kid as far as hiking and playing in the woods and riding a bike and, and, and just uh, spending a lot of time outside. Uh, but over time, those, those uh, fields and those woods were converted into subdivisions and, and uh, you know, like any kind of uh, ex-urban community outside of a big city like Chicago, things are changing rapidly. The landscape's changing rapidly, and for whatever reason, you know, I can't put pinpoint this, you know, in some kind of some kind of uh, quirk of psychology. Um, but for whatever reason, um, that sort of thing always affected me. I always, I guess, I, I guess I would call myself from an early age sort of hyper aware of, of landscape change and the sort of cyclical change that you were referring to, David, a little bit uh, earlier. Watching things become other things and feeling nostalgia for the old thing, but excitement about the new thing. Uh, you know, I guess I've identified with the landscape for a long time. The well, change in the landscape. Sure, sure. Well, and it, it'll, well, first of all, a little anecdote. I mean, um, I teach at, at um, CLC, um, right. so it's interesting to uh, think about it as a, 
a place where there's not a lot of roads or, you know, at least slightly more rural, you know what I mean? Or, yeah, or, or you, you know it now. You know that it's built up. There's a lot of traffic. There's a lot of sure, sure. gas stations and all that sort of, you know, uh, you know, all that stuff that accompanies uh, kind of uh, sprawling development. But it really was a pretty rural place when I was uh, when I was growing up. But changing, you know, changing consistently over the course of, of the time I was growing up. Well, and it'll be interesting to get into more of those specifics, especially with that, <laughs> whether or not things actually do change or at least maybe become reconfigured. I don't know. But um, but, but in terms of then your, your kind of early art art practice, I mean, were you active and, and taking summer class camp, you know, craft stuff? Yeah, I did or? all that sort of stuff. I was, I was pretty serious about it from an early age. I thought I wanted to be an artist from an early age and... Uh, I uh, was serious about it in high school and took a couple of classes while I was in high school at the College of Lake County, which is you know, the school you're, you're talking about in Grays Lake, Community College in Grays Lake. I uh, was very serious about it as, a, as an undergraduate. So I, I guess I identified pretty early on that I wanted to be an artist. Right. And, and did you know um, specifically what kind of artist? I mean, you... Did you just gravitate towards that, that 2D aspect of making things? Or? It involves, yeah, definitely 2D. Uh, you know, you start out, I wanted to be, a, I think I wanted to be a cartoonist. That was my original idea. And I think in high school, I was thinking about becoming an architect. And then when I got to Iowa, um, you know, they had a strong printmaking program. They had a strong art, art program overall. But, but one way or another, I, I kind of fell into this group of students who were interested in printmaking and, 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 and got close to some of the teachers and uh, identified with that culture for a while. Then went on to Yale, where that printmaking culture wasn't quite as strong. There were, there were people there making prints, but you couldn't really self-identify and, and kind of st stand apart as a printmaker. You had to mix it up with the painters. You had to make paintings, um, experiment with, with, with other modes of, of working. And, and in general, that was pretty good for me. Um, it got me out of the, the, the sort of uh, narrower identity of printmaking. Though I loved printmaking and printmaking processes, and it still informs my work. But to put it into a larger context, to see the kinds of things I was I was I was interested in um, um, earlier, be recontextualized was 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 really important for me. Well, and, and no doubt, you know, um, any any good BFA program is going to have like a nice diversity in terms of range of, you know, just just exploring different mediums and, and different modes. Um, but I, I mean, I guess specific specific to that work. I mean, what kind of I mean, was it was it predominantly um, Representational in terms of the way that people were working was it, were there any kind of particular you know it's it's interesting to me because I, I can look back at I can look back at where where I came from and kind of think about the way that that I relate to it um, and even the way that I that I look at work now and become appreciative of uh, especially abstraction and something that is weirdly kind of coming back into what I do now and so I'm, I'm just kind of curious because you don't hear you know I don't hear anyways a lot of People, you know, people, people that have been people that maybe, um, you know, had transitioned earlier to kind of talk, you know, more specifically about maybe what kind of challenges they had, because, you know, I certainly um, I know that there's some some people out there that might be painters in a, in a grad program that that aren't necessarily loved for for painting right now. <laughs> it's a, a really interesting. But I don't know. Let me, see, let me see if I understand it the way you're 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 intending. Um, let me start by saying um you know, growing up with an artist father, a, a, a painter, a sculptor, who I think was, was a really talented, gifted painter, sculptor, is kind of a blessing and a curse. You know, the blessings are obvious. There are materials around, and if you have any aptitude at all, you know, uh, um, you're going to be encouraged. And, and, and so it was really, uh, it just seemed like it was a natural thing to do, was to get in, in, 
involved in art, and I got a lot of good um, uh, support from from my father, who who you know didn't push, but but but, but absolutely was 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 encouraging at the right moments. But the, the the bad part of it is that maybe this will sound funny, but you know, as an undergraduate, I imagine in some ways I knew more about styles of art and, 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 and maybe had a little bit more knowledge than the average undergraduate had about what art looked like, especially abstract work, you know, work that, 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 that was a little bit outside of what you get out of a high school art program because of my father's example and because he would be talking to me about artists and we went to museums together and galleries together when I was in high school. So I knew quite a bit about art, but the trouble was for me is I had no identity of my own. So I was practicing, uh, experimenting, I guess you might say, with a whole variety of styles. Certain weeks I was an abstract artist. Other weeks I was I was working representationally. Sometimes I would try to mix the two uh, together. But definitely, um, while I was an undergraduate, I did not find what you would call a voice. or I, I didn't find the future. I didn't find my identity as an artist while I was an undergraduate. And I would say, I would argue even that as an, an MFA student, that, that process continued. I was still experimenting with styles and and maybe taking style to be the, um, you know, the subject. Um, I had a teacher once, one of the best things ever said to me by a teacher, it was back at Iowa, a teacher who looked at my work and said, uh, yeah, you know how to make it look like art. Right? <laughs> Which was, a, if you think about it, a really devastating comment, but an accurate comment. It, it had certain stylistic relationships to, you know, artists that I could name. And, and, and the work was, was facile in a sort of surface way, but there was none of me in it. You know, there was none right. of this... This, this kind of, 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 of um, I suppose, you know, concrete um, reality that, that, that came out of my life. It was all a, a set of clothes that I could exchange for another set of clothes, if that makes sense. Right, right. So, I mean, and, and I, you know, a lot of that came from, from, from knowing a bit about art before going into school. I don't know if it ever gets presented that way because, you know, what, as teachers, what you, you yearn for sometimes is you wish your students knew a little bit more about art. You wish that they had more familiarity with a wider range of styles and contexts, but uh, sometimes it goes too far the other way. Right, right. Well, and it's it's an interesting problem, you know, because I, I know that even, you know, as, as someone that's teaching foundations courses, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of students that have have a I don't know insecurities about not being uh, talented enough or, or good enough, and it seems like that's a, a different different can of worms because I think it's I th- I mean I think it's actually quite the opposite. I think those people are usually like sponges. Um, yeah, so- I was certainly, a, I was a sponge and I was, I was too much of a sponge. You know, if I went to a show, I wanted to be that artist. Right, right, right. I went right, to another right. show, then I would change and want to be that artist. So it was hard. And maybe this is a natural thing when you're an undergraduate. Maybe you should be doing a lot of this. But it was hard to kind of dig in and find what belonged to me. Well, and so what, what kind of work then did you, did you start out in, in terms of being in graduate school um, making? I mean, what was it like? <laughs> it's funny. I was doing a, I, I really struggled initially in getting to graduate school. I was pretty young. I came right from my undergraduate work into, into MFA work, and I was pretty young. I was just 24 when I started graduate school. So I, I remember taking a landscape painting class and messing around with that a little bit. Then I started drawing my girlfriend, who later became my wife, but but, but started drawing her uh, in these kind of maybe Edward Hopper-esque kind of narrative setups inside of interiors, you know, lone figures and in interiors. Um, and it was toward the end of my um, MFA work that I started identifying with the landscape a little bit more, and that meant going outside. I had some some good friends who were in the program who were really dedicated plein air painters, uh, and I started joining up with them and going outside and, and, and drawing obsessively outside. And, and over time, 
that coalesced into into uh, going to the same places over time and tracking change and watching things evolve in the in, in the landscape. But that was only toward the latter latter um, you know days of, of uh, MFA work. Right, right. Um, that sounds interesting. You know, I mean, especially you know, one of the things that that's difficult for anybody is to is to find. Uh, what, whatever that means, your voice or you know your identity. I mean, and something that seems like it's always changing. So, um. so I, I kicked around a lot and messed around with a lot of different things, and, and, and a lot of it was shallow and a lot of it was superficial. But I guess it's part of you know a, a, an important process. Well, and, and so you know, in terms of then, so your your MFA work is then your your show your thesis show is going to be then reflective of. of Mostly like plein air landscape painting. Well, or it's funny. Doing... Not really. The the, okay. the thesis work, as I remember, it was mostly this figure work I was telling you about. Okay. Um, it was after the thesis. At Yale, the thesis occurred pretty early on in the second year, like the beginning of the of the second semester. So it might be February or April, and I put that work up. And I remember being dissatisfied with that work and sort of wanting a fresh start. And that's when I started, you know, looking to go outside and just started drawing what was in front of me. Just. If, if I couldn't do much or if I couldn't control much, the idea was that I'll just try to describe, I'll just try to do something um, real in front of me, and that led me to, to, to going outside a lot. So it was actually, I was still at Yale, but the thesis work was over, was completed. Well, which is always a nice place to be in, um, having having things done so you can kind of move, move right. past them. Um, right. And so you said you moved, how, how shortly after that? Well, I stayed in New Haven a couple more years okay. uh, teaching printmaking, teaching a litho class and, a, and an etching class, and that's where I really got more intense and serious about the landscape. And that's, you know, I don't know if you know um, that area, the Connecticut shoreline there from New Haven up to where the mouth of the Connecticut River comes out into Long Island Sound. It's a very beautiful region, salt marshes and tidal ponds, um, and it's a kind of landscape that isn't really land or water. You know, um, the tide comes in and, 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 and the landscape floods and the tide goes out, and, and it becomes land again, and I became attracted to, to, to these places and describing the, the you know the, the, the various conditions at various times of, of, of day. So it's where I first became interested in you might say cyclical or narrative landscape. Um, but it was pretty unformed at that time. You know, I was making drawings and sketches and location, and sometimes turning those into prints, and and, and, and sometimes not. Well, and uh, well, a couple of things too. I mean, was there any kind of real rhyme or reason in terms of then you know we brought up. I think we both said cyclical a couple of times, but, you know, I know for myself, I mean, um, just, just being on the road for me is interesting because, you know, I, cause it's a, it's a good, it's a good place to think, but then it's also like for me, how I've experienced landscape a big chunk of my life. But I mean, did you notice, um, or kind of become nostalgic for anything that you might've had growing up, um, more to more to being in, in a central Illinois area versus right. well, too, that's another good point, David. You know, um, because I'm living on the East Coast now, I'm living in Connecticut and later Massachusetts. I'm coming back to Illinois to my to my father's place um, a, a couple of times each year because you're away, and then you come back and see it. The change is all the more um, vi visible. You know, it's all the more evident. So that was striking me at the same time, and I started making. Um, drawings on location back in Illinois. I'd visit construction sites and subdivision sites, and and uh, I take a lot of pictures uh, of, of of these places. And 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 so the same thing was happening in parallel. It was happening on the East Coast with the tidal stuff, with the with the I guess you call it the more organic stuff. But now I was paying more attention to the landscape as the site for building and construction and 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 and, and that sort of man-made uh, change. So the both both are kind of happening simultaneously. And it's all kind of coalescing into this, you know, this ongoing interest in 
layered and, and, and narrativeized landscape. Well, and, and something that we haven't talked about um, that I just realized that we, we've kind of missed, we've talked a little bit about printmaking, but I mean, are you are you primarily then drawing during this, these periods no, of time? I am. Or well, in those drawing days, and painting? Was, or? In those days, I was teaching printmaking and I, and I was teaching drawing classes at, at, at Amherst. And I was making a lot of prints. I was using the plein air drawings to make prints, sometimes lithographs, sometimes dry points, sometimes, sometimes uh, etching. So uh, lithography and intaglio stuff. Um, over time, though, the drawings began to take over. I, I became more and more interested in in, uh, in the drawing as a primary vehicle for, for, for what I was trying to say. And explaining that is probably a different kind of conversation, but it, it, it surrounds the idea of, of touch and direct touch and getting a result back right away. Printmaking was a slower process for me, and even though initially I fell in love with that slowness and that kind of measured pace of, of create something and then print it and then react to it and then print it again, Eventually, I became impatient with that, and I liked the directness, the immediacy of drawing a little bit more. Right, right. Well, and, and so, in terms then of, of, of the work, then, is it, is it, you know, something at the time, because, you know, I was saying before that, that um, it's hard to necessarily know. I mean, obviously, if there's not like a big archived uh, <laughs> archived set of images, you know, that you can kind of work through, but I mean, was, was this kind of, kind of dealing with something that felt a little bit... Um, Again, more 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 based off of something that would be immediate, as opposed to something that was like orchestrated or composed in a way that it would kind of draw, right. you know, a specific kind of response from the, the well, person that would be looking at it. Or? First of all, you know, one of the difficulties if you want to be a plein air printmaker, it's a kind of difficult thing right off the bat because your image is always in reverse. Right. Right. <laughs> so you draw on this plate, and and then you make the print, and the print is the reverse of the site, and that never felt right because it doesn't look like the site now. It's a reversal. So when I was making lithographs, for instance, I would re-reverse. I would reverse the image onto the stone through a kind of tracing process from the original drawing. And then I would work on that. But then you're recreating the original drawing and losing a lot, you know, in the, in the, uh, in the translation. Uh, you would gain maybe a level of finish, but you, you'd lose a level of spontaneity. But the point was so that when I printed it, the image looked like the place that I was, was drawing. And in, over time, I just grew more and more impatient with that intermediate step. There didn't really seem to be a logical reason to do it uh, anymore. That, too, and if you think about you know drawing and the speed of drawing, it, it, it keeps up not only with the kind of uh, the speed of change in the landscape a little bit more accurately, right? So the shadows are moving across a field or the sun's going down or the day goes from cloudy to sunny and back again. Drawing was a way to cope with that a little bit more uh, directly than, than uh, printmaking could. So... I'm sure. Does that make sense? You'd... No, no, for sure, for sure. And and I and I guess too. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm thinking just because because especially like, you know, like I said, there's no there's no transition into, into knowing how all those transitions came about. So it's interesting to kind of, you know, to ask questions to kind of figure those. I things was kind out, of a weird you know? printmaker, David. I, I was sort of a weird printmaker in the sense that um, the things that I liked best to do were outside, you know, outside of the print studio. So I would bring a copper plate outside and draw directly on the plate, or I'd bring it up. Outside and draw directly. I've even brought stones outside on a few occasions, litho stones, to draw directly from the landscape. So, which is a little, you know, printmaking. It, it, it seems the way it's set up at most places is primarily a kind of studio condition. You make the work in the studio right. or in another kind of studio. And and, and for me, um, I always wanted to make a link between the print studio and the world beyond it. And and um, you know, I wasn't interested so much in the reproducibility of prints. I would make a few. I would make. I was working primarily in dry point on copper, where you would only get a few good proofs from the plate to begin with before the press wears down the, you know, the burr of the of the of the, uh, of the metal plate.
without getting too too technical about it. You only get a few uh, good proofs out of out of a dry point. Um, so eventually, it just it just seemed uh, to make more sense to to put the print technology away and and and. and I guess clarify or isolate the things that I'd been interested in all along, but a lot of you know a lot of the, the habits, a lot of the mark making, a lot of the, the, the sort of, uh, of uh, language vocabulary of printmaking has survived into my drawings. Well, and that's that's a, that's a good, good good kind of thing to kind of bring up because obviously you know there's such a a technical aspect to to how how you're drawing and, and especially one of the you know one of the images that I just shared just you know just for the um, to help kind of promote this is um, there's kind of a softness to some of the, the current work. Um, and I guess I'm just kind of curious about like in terms of then drawing technique, is this, do you, did you find that, you know, you were always kind of willing to try out new, new materials and in, in terms of drawing, in terms of, you know, just drawing materials or, you know, supportive materials, different kinds of paper. I mean, how did you kind of really develop? I did, I did, I did for a while, David. Um, I, uh, I initially began these landscape drawings that I've, you know, is, that emerged from this, this printmaking practice. These these landscape drawings that were the, the first things I made after kind of making this transition. They were very large. I was working on drawings that were six feet or eight feet in any given direction. Sometimes uh, six feet vertically. Sometimes eight feet horizontally. Um, I was using a lot of mixed me- drawing media, you know, charcoal and ink and, and, and graphite to, 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 together in a kind of, I guess, in a way that that was probably closer to. Um, the sort of finish and, 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 and complexity of paintings. Um, over time, you know, the, over time, though, uh, the scale of, of the drawing became problematic, too. You know, um, working on a large drawing outside, even working on large drawings in the studio, displaying large works of paper to frame or not to frame, storing them, a lot of that began to become distracting as well. And and, uh, and uh, what happened over the years was the drawings grew a little bit smaller. The media sort of clarified. Mostly I used graphite, powdered graphite, sometimes touches of silver point or ink on these, on these gesso panels. So um, I guess, it, you know, to me it looks like an evolution. I, I probably wasn't in so, so much control of it at, at, the, uh, at the time. But all these moves, what they've added up to is a kind of keeping what's important, trying to keep what, what moved me, what made me happy all along, what, what, what sort of drove me to work. Uh, and eliminating the things that were less important or were more distracting. So well, it's a process of distillation or clarification or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and I mean, again, I mean, I, I know that on a much smaller scale. <laughs> Cause yeah. my, well, because I haven't, you know, continued a studio practice, obviously, for, for the same amount of time. Um, but, you know, again, I, I'm trying to, I, I'm kind of interested, too, in, 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 the, in the kind of subjects, because, I mean, especially some of the more recent work, um, I don't know, it kind of almost even kind of borders on, on being um, even just a bit more abstracted or, or kind of, I don't know, not, not, not something that you would maybe see as just a traditional kind of study. So I'm kind of interested in terms of then how, I don't know, how those subjects might have gotten developed um, over the course of then moving moving from the East Coast. Or, are, are you referring to that work from the museum, the, 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 the urban houses, or, or, or uh, work from the road construction? Or Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of some of the, the road construction work, but again, it's it's difficult to know specifically what time these things are at, and so I'm, I'm just trying to, trying to see, trying to gain a sense of a, an idea of, like, how that, that developed. You it's know? all from the past couple of years, the work you're, you're referring to. I sent you two sets of work, one from from this road project near my home that I've been documenting and tracking. And, and another one is a series of houses. Uh, the other group is a series of houses from, from uh, Toledo in, in, in you know, struggling neighborhoods, I guess you'd say. 
Um, but they all kind of shared the same interest, the same kind of balance between, um, you know, the need to make an image that's strong on an abstract level, that's memorable, you know, that has some measure of iconic, I guess, to it. Uh, but at the same time, to, to document, to track uh, change. And the sort of twin desires have always been integral to what I want to do. So you want to take something that's local. You want to say, take a, a particular house, but you want to cast it in terms that allow people to access it who don't necessarily know the story. Right, right. right. So I guess you're just talking about combining formal and, and, and sort of uh, content issues. But it's very, it's, it's very well, important to me that those two things be, become very difficult to, to pull apart. Right, right. Well, and, and again, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking too, I mean, if you see, you know, something like this, this overpass um, that's starting to be constructed in, in one the of these... columns in the, in the landscape. Right, right. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing for me to kind of look at it in a context of, uh, you know, say where the economy is at now, but, but I'm trying to figure out too, um, I don't know, the way that, you know, we've talked a little bit about our, you know, experience in, in terms of relationships to... To landscape, and then also how these things uh, develop. How it's curious then if there was a you know a conscious move to kind of picking certain types of locations as you became you know as you moved away from working from the figure and then and kind of moving out into doing landscape kind of drawings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what how, how that changed, and especially too then as as you're moving away then from from you know from from that area that you were living in. Um, you know, and especially too, because we talked even just going back before about that that idea of commuting back to a place after you've been away from it for a while, and what mm-hmm. that experience is like. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's it's it, again, it's 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 sort of hard to untangle motivations uh, after the fact. It looks obvious, but but in the process of le- selecting sites, you know, it's less, it's 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 probably less obvious. I mean, I, I make lots of studies. I take lots of pictures. Uh, most of what I, I uh, uh, photograph. Most of what I draw doesn't make it into any kind of finished uh, work, um, and 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 I guess the simplest way to explain it is, you know, is what I said earlier. You're looking for an image that's memorable. You want to make an image that has a kind of, uh, of, 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 of power to stay in, in a person's imagination, has has a kind of iconic uh, aspect to it. Uh, at the same time, that when I put them all together, they add up to a kind of narrative of, of, of change and. And and, uh, and progress over time, or, or, or devolution over time. Even sometimes landscapes come apart, as is happening in Toledo right now. You know, the idea behind the the, the urban um, scenes that I'm doing is that, that these neighborhoods are are kind of uh, unraveling. You know, and, and you see this in a lot of midwestern cities. You, you, you can see it in uh, Gary, Indiana. You can see it in Detroit. You can see it in Akron, Ohio. You can see it in Toledo, Ohio. Neighborhoods that are that are emptying out, and, and, and the fabric's becoming less dense, and the landscape is returning. Um, in some sense, the original landscape, and in, 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 in other senses, like a kind of intermediate landscape, half urban, half rural. So the idea that that things um, that that, that seem, seem as solid as a city, you know, something that seems as permanent as a city can actually become undone and that it's happening in front of our eyes is, is what motivated me to do those drawings of those house drawings of Toledo. Um, and then the process happens in reverse, you know, on the road project. That's a road that's being built through through open farmland uh, where there really isn't very much development and, it, and it's a kind of invasion of the farmland. It's, it's, it's an imposition on the, on, on the land. It's an addition on, onto the landscape. So in a sense, the same process is happening in reverse. It's happening to, to, to a, to a to a kind of built-up environment as opposed to an environment that's coming undone. 
Well, and, and so, you know, in terms of then, then kind of dealing with that, those, those kinds of subjects, cause again, they're, they're a little bit more loaded than, you know, just, you know, um, and again, I anecdotally brought up, you know, Thomas Kincaid, but I mean, um, you know, those, 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 those kinds of works that can just be kind of appreciated for a, a purely aesthetic, you know, kind of purposes. I mean, are, are there, are, is that something that you really want your, your viewers to be conscious of, um, you know, as, as they're looking at these? And, and again, just to kind of clarify too, in, in terms of some of these more, I guess, recent works, they're a little bit more like, um, small to mid scale. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, 9 to 12 inches, uh, 12 to 15 inches, sometimes up to 18 by 24 inches. But, yeah, all, all pretty sure. modestly sized. Well, something that obviously, too, like when you see it, you know, um, exhibit, it's something that you're naturally going to have to kind of approach, mm-hmm. right, and, instead of just being enveloped by a, you know, a six-foot, well, not really a six-foot drawing at this point anymore, is it? Because there's people that, that well, work, you know. it used to be six-foot drawings. Right, right. I mean, it could be, you know, you know 40 feet now or something, but... Um, but I mean, is, is is that something that you're that you're that you kind of set up in, in a certain um, a certain way? Maybe you know through working in series, then, or do you kind of exhibit where you're you're showing you know all the kind of different works that you have going on? I tend to show work in series, you know, sort of thematically uh, 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 arranged by 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 uh, by a kind of a, a given subject. So when I had a show in Cleveland a couple of years ago at the, at Brett Shaheen's gallery in Cleveland. All of the work in the show was related to this road project. The recent show at the Toledo Museum of Art, all of the work in the show was related to, to the Toledo houses. Um, so I, I tend to like to work thematically where works can speak to each other, you know, and, and, and viewers can make connections between them and, 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 and uh, sort of understand that a narrative is on display. But at the same time, each individual work has to be successful on its own, right, sure, so that sure. they can function away from the group as, 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 as well. So the concept isn't so overriding, you might say. It's not so important to it that that um, each individual work is is meaningless on its own. They should stand independently, but they should also gain a different kind of strength when they're together. Sure, sure. Well, and again, just just hopefully, as 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 people that you know might might have learned about your work after not not knowing about it after this, um, which might be a smaller group of people. Don't mean to make it sound, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, everybody in the world is going to be looking now, but um, um, but um, you know, it's well, it's interesting to see that and and to, and to know how that works because you know one of the things that's interesting about you know talking to so many different artists and you know something that we were talking about even before the podcast is just you know the different ways that people wind up working and you know especially seeing um, or, or recognizing a, a very small amount of change seeming really significant to someone while they're making it, but not, might not be apparent. Or as a parent to a viewer, or especially if it's not in that context where you're seeing, um, you know, certain themes kind of repeated or, you know, explored um, in an exhibition where it's really controlled like that. Right. Um, and so, I mean, what kind of what kind of uh, responses then do you typically get from people that that are you know viewing your work? I mean, do they, you know, especially because I mean the subject matter, you know. Um, because some of them obviously are, you know, more more reflective of a traditional kind of landscape, but then especially some of these, you know, constructed um, areas or, you know, where you've got, you know, giant piles of rock and, and rubble and dirt. And I mean, are, are there are there people that, that kind of bring up that the way that that relates to the areas that they've kind of grown up in or the way that they're the areas that they're living in now? Or Right. Right. Well, you get, you get a range of responses. Um, I think in a lot of cases, um, 
people are just interested in process when they look at my work. They kind of recognize that it takes a long time to do, that it takes a lot of attention to do it, that there's a, there's a meticulousness to it that, that, uh, that uh, I don't know, it either impresses people or, or they think that I'm crazy for, for, for engaging in, you know, such a, what, what looks to them to be such an obsessive process. So sure. people will spend a lot of time asking me how long it took to make the drawings. Um, um, they'll compliment me and say that they look like photographs which is always a, a puzzling thing for me to say because to me they don't look anything like photographs, especially when you see them in person. Right. Um, and you're aware of the sort of stippled and crosshatched language that goes into into, into, into making the work. But I guess I would characterize that as kind of a, a, a surface level, a kind of surface appreciation for the work. And, and then there maybe there's another subset you know, of, of, of people um, that, that start talking about the narrative, that start talking about the subject matter, that sort of recognize the... the, um, the um, the issues that, 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 that the, uh, the content of the work is, 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 is calling forth. So it, it, it ranges, you know, and, and I suppose there's a selected few, you know, the people that who, who really get it, that, that sort of understand your your motivations at a deeper level, maybe sympathize with what I was saying earlier about feeling sometimes that, you know, lost in the landscape of change and you're trying to mark a place and create a stable position and that the act of making work is a way to slow down, to, to, to sort of uh, inhabit the landscape of a landscape that's sometimes resistant to long-term habitation, if you know what I mean. Right. Um, you know, so it, it, it ranges. I get, a, I get a spectrum of responses, I guess you could say. Well, and again, we've got plenty of things that I can, that I can ask you about. But one of the things that you you kind of talked a little bit about in terms of, you know, just um, just taking a ton of different photos. Um, are, the, are they pretty much straight up then from the ones that you wind up working from? You know, as opposed to the ones that you discard. I mean, are they in altered in any cases, ways? Or in a lot of cases, I mix together photos I take myself with photos that I find. I uh, like real estate websites. A lot of the work that I've made comes off of, 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 of things that you would find on, on uh, just the kind of vernacular photographs you'd find on a real estate website. I love Google Street. I love being able to navigate inside the map, so to speak. I love being able to move down a street. And one of the nice features of Google Street is that you can um, change the point of view. You can look up. You can look down. You can look sideways. You can look the other direction. You can change the perspective on something. It's it's a little closer to what it feels like to being in the actual landscape. So I've made images using that as a as a as a uh, as a source. So um, a range of sources goes into it. But what 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 this all adds up to is a sort of uh, collecting activity, collecting hundreds of images and sorting through that and sifting through it and then deciding what seems like a a compelling image. Right, right. And, and so then when you're in the process of, of putting this together in terms of working through it, are you Working on multiple drawings at once, or one at one at a time. Or? Generally, one at a time, uh, especially in the kind of layout phase. I guess is what I call it when I'm kind of laying in the image. You know, using the photograph as a source. I don't project anything. I use. I tend to use different systems of grids for moving information from the source to the to the uh, to to the drawing. Um, so in that layout phase, when I'm kind of uh, what some people might say filling in the image, then I'm working on one at a time. But when they are um, closer to completion, and there might be several of them, you know, in that condition, then I might work across them a little bit. I sometimes get drawings back that have been away from me for months or even years at a time, and I'll start working on those again. Um, sometimes erasing portions of the previous image, sometimes bringing it back. I don't know how um, well it comes across in images, but what I work on, are, it's, it's gessoed paper, true gesso, gesso that I make myself, um, on paper that's mounted on panels. And the, the gessoing of the paper gives me some control that I don't get on the paper alone. It, 
it, it, for me, it, it, it allows, it makes the, the surface more sensitive, so a harder pencil mark shows up than it would on, a, on, a, on, on, on uh, most paper. Uh, but also, um, it allows me to remove the image more completely and with less evidence of the erasure. Um, erasing on paper, sometimes you do damage to the paper, sometimes uh, more trace of the, of, the, of the previous image is left behind, but on this gessoed uh, panel uh, paper, it's a little like uh, erasing something on a blackboard. It's on a kind of, um, well, it's a calcium carbonate ground. You know what true gesso is. It's, 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 uh, it's, uh, it's uh, a glue and, and calcium carbonate combination. And that means that, that um, the image comes off for me more readily. Sometimes it's with sandpaper rather than erasers. But I can take the image away and, and replace it. And I do that in some cases numerous times. So right. even though I'm, I'm what you might call a photorealist, from my plein air days, from those days of, of, of drawing and revising and drawing again, I've retained that idea that you can approach a, 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 maybe a, a photorealist image from a more, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I was about to say organic, but it's not quite the right word, a more, a more kind of, um, a less predictable way. In other words, it's not just an additive process, right. as it is for a lot of photorealists. Instead, there's addition for a while, but then there can be significant subtraction and then re-addition and subtraction and re-addition. There are images in that Toledo show where there are sections of the image that I drew and sanded away three or four times before I got it the way I wanted to. You know, before I felt like I was I was I was paying the proper amount of attention to the to the source photograph. Because one of the dangers of working for photography is that your mind wanders. You know, um, it's easy to be slack, you might say, about the way you transfer the imagery, and it's easy to to kind of. Um, I don't know, overdraw or, or underdraw the, uh, the image, but to find the right level of abstraction, to find the right level of, of, of finish in the drawing is sometimes a hard thing to do. Well, and is that something, too, that you, um, depending on what it is that you're drawing, I mean, for example, you know, something that might have a rough surface or texture like, you know, something like a, like a bush or a, a rock, as opposed well, to something like a smooth, you know, it's, it's not as much that, David, as it is the, the source images that I use are generally pretty lousy, at least in terms of resolution. I don't like um, sharp, focused, over-finished uh, uh, photographs, at, at, you know, printed so large that uh, I can't miss a detail. The things that I generally draw from are, are, are a little bit grainy, are, are relatively low resolution. They're kind of ordinary snapshot style or downloaded from the Internet sorts of, sorts of images. I don't change them very much. But in printing them, reproducing them, they, they have a kind of a, a, a grain in them, and, and sometimes that leaves a lot of ambiguity in the image, and, and sometimes it's tough to make that ambiguity believable in the uh, in the in the drawing. Well, and I think that you know, to me, anyways, I don't know. It seems like that that would be something that would kind of reveal, or at least talk a little bit about this being, um, well, about that process, not necessarily being like a, a direct process in that regards. You know, something that's kind of kind of found or, or constructed through, you know, the sources that you're working from as opposed right. to then just working, you know, directly from outside, um, right. which is something that, again, I mean, I would think would be something that would be very interesting if you're seeing these things and especially recognizing that they're not just these right. photo, these photos, you know, at first and then well, recognizing people, Most people, especially people who haven't worked from, from photos before, they have a, a fairly... Um, kind of a fixed idea of what that's about. They imagine that there is this kind of straight translation process, that if you grid the photograph and you grid the surface that you're, you're drawing or painting on, that it's really a kind of simple transfer, 
and there's not much room for interpretation or, 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 or very much room for, for creativity in that. But the sort of the, the, I guess the, the sensation I get as I work from photographs is that um, they're they're more complicated, they're more slippery than most people take them to be. There's there's less visible, there's 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 less that you can really grab on than, than you might think. In other words, the photograph is not a very um, I guess I'm just saying it's not it's not as reliable a document as, as, as people think it is. And when you get into the business of looking at them closely and then trying to interpret them in some way or, 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 or you know, simply to move the information from 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 um, the source to the drawing, there's a, a lot more can happen than you would think. There's, there's more room for messing it up. There's more room for um, success, too. You know, there's more room for creativity than people would originally think. People would normally think. Right, right, for sure. Well, and, and the kind of, you, you've kind of brought up in some, in some ways how you're kind of researching, you know, visually through, through, um, um, through what is it, Google Street, but, um, you, you know, and other processes like that. I mean, do you find that then traveling um, becomes something that, you know, also kind of feeds back into that work? You know, uh, absolutely. Though, though recently I'm, I'm kind of concentrating on working more in, in this region. So, okay. so um, in Northwest Ohio includes urban and rural and exurban and suburban places. And, and I'm kind of, I guess, I, I, I'm imagining now that that I'm telling the story of this place, this place that I live in now. So, I'm not traveling and working. You know, I'm not going to Arizona or Italy or 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 I don't know. Um, the South or anywhere else uh, to, to find work, to find new subject matter. I'm sort of burrowing in here um, because I, I, I'm interested in this idea of a, of, a, of a landscape that most people don't look at very carefully. It's, it's a relatively featureless landscape. You know, it's flat. You've, you've been out here, I think. Right. Uh, it's flat. There aren't a lot of landmarks. You know, you don't have obvious um, sort of topographic forms that a lot of people associate with conventionally beautiful landscapes. It takes a kind of act of, of concentration to find events here, to find subject matter here that I'm interested in. Um, most people take it to be empty and featureless and boring, but uh, all you have to do is shift your frame of reference, look a little bit more closely, maybe examine a little smaller area of the landscape, and you find plenty. Sure, sure. Well, and 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 to kind of bring bring up another idea too is is um, you know research. You know, aside from just the, that visual component, is something that you know I know a lot of people are, are kind of. You know, chopping at the bit to kind of find out what, what people are reading, what people are looking at. Are, are there a lot of other things that are that are supplemental to that that process in terms of you know coming up with a new drawing that that might not be seen directly? Um, if I if I understand you correctly, you know, what might might I be doing some research into the landscape or reading something that influences the way I yeah just or seeing just, a show that then that that then you know something gets translated back into the work is that what you mean yeah I mean just generally speaking just other things that wind up feeding into that work and you know one of the things that I've learned is just that some people you know there's some people that are reading every every you know every every book on theory that's coming out there's people that you know that translates to just being out in, in the landscape and taking more photos or you know, I mean, is that something that's like, like a, a specific component to how you well, do I, things? I, I read a lot. I uh, I uh, go to a lot of shows. You know, I go to as many museums as I can. I look at as much work as I can. Um, but none of it, none of it is focused in a way that where, where where maybe you'd make this direct causal link. You know, where I'm trying to solve a problem or I'm doing a research. Um, Kind of, kind of uh, approach that 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 
that adds up in a kind of one-to-one way where what I discover winds up in the work. I guess what I imagine I'm doing when I read poetry or read history or read novels, uh, which is kind of my preferred stuff to read in relationship to my work, where I'm looking at artists' work is I'm building a kind of broad context that, that for me, you know, I hope it gives me a kind of a more specific sense of what I'm doing. Sometimes that's in opposition to what I see. Sometimes it's in accord with what I see, right? So, so um, you know, it's not directly in the process of making the work. But, you know, for instance, I do know a bit of the history of this landscape that I live in. It was a quite, a, quite an interesting uh, place from, from earliest uh, settlement and before that Native American um, presence in the landscape and, and, uh, and then all the phases of, of, of kind of, of, of habitation that have happened since then. I know a little bit about that. But that, that research, I guess, is, 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 is kind of executed lightly, you might say. It's not for me to illustrate that stuff or, or, or to make it obvious, but it does give me a sense that there were people here before I was, there were, there were, there were different structures here before the current structures, um, and that helps, me, that, that helps make the landscape more resonant. Well, and again, maybe maybe this is, this is partially because I have another another question written down, and I'm maybe seeing if there's a way to lead into this. But I mean, in, in terms of then kind of figuring out then that this is this is that thing that you were you were gonna that you're gonna explore for the for you know a good chunk of your your artistic life. Then I mean, um, did you have you found then that that's something that is developed? Um, I guess kind of in the way that you're describing. I don't know if there's a way to kind of put it because we've we've talked about. You know, before before we even started, you know, the idea of um, finding your identity and and how that that kind of works, and it seems to me like a lot of that is just to kind of be open to to these things that you might not even that you might not even use while you're you're specifically working on a series of drawings or something that winds up feeding back into it later. And so right. I, I'm just interested in how that process works because it, it sounds to me like that's something that you can't really directly influence um, in that way, or that you maybe don't. Um, you know, in that really it's just kind of um, altered and become, you know, expanded through the, the course of doing and then just being immersed in what you're you're interested in. Right. I, I think for most people it's a trial and error process, David. And, and in the beginning of the process, as I was talking about the work I did as an undergraduate or, or did in graduate school, the errors are large, you might say, the, the or the adjustments from the errors are, are large. So you're swinging back and forth pretty wildly. I think over time, as as as, as, as some of your attempts start to stick, you know the, the swings get a little smaller and a little smaller. Um, maybe they go back to large. Maybe they get small again. But you know, it's it's just a process of of, um, of trying some things and seeing what works and matching that up against your experience over time and listening to what other people say about your work and 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 uh, you know it all adds up to. I guess you take increasing possession of your work as you as you mature in your work, right? And and I mean um, maybe just to, to tie up this a little bit because we've got oh we've got a handful of questions still we've got a little bit of time but um, you know I guess I, I would just kind of you know bottle that in, in a second but um, you know do you um, do you find yourself then still doing doing printmaking at all or any other kinds of explorations then or at this point or is it primarily then just kind of working through uh, these different narratives um, um, through drawing. Right. My main medium is, is drawing right now. I haven't made any prints for, it's been a few years, five or six years perhaps. Um, and I guess it, for, for the time being, I don't miss it. There might come a time where I miss it and I want to pick it up again. I've had a couple of invitations from people to make some prints and, and it seems like in, you know, in the next summer or two that might be an interesting thing to, uh, to do. But right now drawing is, is, is serving the needs 
that I have for it, and I, and I guess it has something to do with its transparency and its 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 kind of um, I don't know its 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 um, its unobviousness as a technique. You know, drawing is a kind of uh, it has a kind of self-effacing quality built into it. It's it's modest by nature. Even when your drawings are made very elaborately, they might even be very large. But there's something kind of modest about you know at the heart of the of the uh, the medium, the simplest medium, the one that requires the least training, the least equipment, the least expense to 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 execute. And 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 no matter how involved the drawing gets, it sort of retains some of those those qualities. I take lots of photographs. I, I kind of obsessively organize and reorganize those uh, photographs. Whether they'll be of any value to anybody uh, uh, at any point, I don't know. I, I never show them. Some of them are interesting to me, though, and, and, and some of them I take, um, you know, I, I understand that they're not going to be drawings, that they don't have uh, a thing that I'm looking for in, in, in selecting, um, you know, which images to make a drawing from, but they're interesting in their own right. I, I don't know what's going to become of that. I sort of like the idea that it might creep up on me that, that in not thinking about them in a in a formal or, or self conscious way, I might actually make better work. Well, and for sure, and, and again, some, there's a lot of things that you're talking about that I think um, you know hit hit close to home too. Um, you know, just just in, in kind of working in a, in a way that that could be maybe somewhat similar. Um, <laughs> well, it makes it makes me really wonder what everybody's referencing. You know, it'd be an interesting thing. Um, to see a show with a lot of references, you know, just the references, the pure references. The, the source work. Right, right. I mean, I, I've had, in the past, I've had someone that um, that became really interested in, in, the, in the way that I would uh, have these, these large printouts that have been taped back together and then have all these paint splotches on them as I'm, I'm color, you know, color mixing over them and becoming really interested in that. And so, um, you know, those supportive things that you don't see become... You know, kind of interesting. Yeah. I think it's interesting to people. Did you see that Luke Tymon show that was at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago two, three years ago now? And no, no, I didn't actually. I also remember a William Kentridge show a few years before that in right, which, right. in both cases, there was a lot of source material included in the show. You know, photographic references, uh, uh, books, uh, notes, uh, studio documentation. And it's all interesting to me. I think it's especially interesting to artists because, again, it goes to, back to that fascination with, with uh, process. But it always leaves you a little short in the sense that it doesn't explain, you know, if you like the work, it doesn't explain why the work is good. If you don't like the work, it doesn't necessarily explain why the work is, uh, is, is, is bad. There still has to be this transformation. Right, you know, right. From, might say from the base materials into, into, into something that's, uh, that's, that's, that's more interesting. Well, and that's, you know, again, just I'm, I'm curious then, there's a little tangential, but then you, if you're taking photographs and you happen to be with uh, whomever, I mean... Um, is this something that they kind of have, have slowly gotten used to you? Uh, you know, we we got to stop for a second, and, and I got to take a picture. Oh, <laughs> I do it more solo now. Okay. <laughs> I do it. I do it now. Now that I'm sticking closer to home, I do it from my bicycle a lot. It's kind of funny. <laughs> I, I have this old upright bicycle, and I ride all over where I live. is still pretty rural, and you get out into country farm roads, two lane roads, pretty easily. So I do a lot of this from my bicycle. Um, you know, and bicycle's nice because you don't have to find a place to park. You don't have to um, worry so much about being obtrusive. You have a kind of invisibility in the landscape that, that you don't get with a car. So I ride all over the place, and I'll park the bike, and then I'll walk and wander and take pictures. But for me, mostly it's a solo activity. You know, that's that's important to me from a kind of meditative standpoint. I like being out alone in the landscape. Sure, sure. Well, and again, I've, I've got a handful of questions here that, that I'm sure. guessing will be a little bit little bit more short um 
Maybe not. Maybe not so much. I always have that, yeah, that tendency to, to underestimate things. <laughs> well, because and again, um, some of these are, are maybe maybe seem like a little bit out of order. Then, um, but then um, you know, in terms of then the way that this this works out in, in relationship to your teaching, then I mean, what is it? You know, what is it that you want to that you try to impart on to your students? Because I I would imagine that obviously you're you're highly motivated in, in convincing other people to um, uh, well, like we were talking about earlier, to make things to be. Um, to be reflective of things, even if it means that, um, you know, you might not ever, um, become famous or, or make a, a, a living <laughs> off of, uh, just selling artwork alone. Um, sure. Well, you, you know, that's one thing, I, uh, making things and, 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 and helping students, helping students understand the value of things made by hand and what they mean in a, in a, in an era when, um, a lot of things that, uh, well, well, just a lot of things aren't made by hand, aren't made by um, um, slower processes or craft-based processes. Uh, without fetishizing that and, and, and saying that that's necessarily better than machine-made stuff, there's there's a, there's a there's a kind of there's a different understanding that comes with getting dirty, with with, with getting your hands into something and, and, and trying to sort out the, the kind of intractability of materials. So there's that. But 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 if I took it back even a notch earlier, a, a notch below that, I would say. Um, what I'm trying to impart to students is a capacity to pay attention, to pay attention to things, whether that's making something carefully or whether it's making something loosely, whether that's opening your eyes to what's around you or, or thinking more carefully about the things you say and the things that are said to you. We're just trying to get people to slow down enough to, to hear each other, to see each other, to listen to each other, to, to um, uh, understand what's going on around them, to understand that an emptiness or a featurelessness, a blankness isn't necessarily one. I do this little experiment in, on the first day of a drawing class in which um, we're sitting and facing what they think the students think of as a blank wall. Um, I ask them what they see, and they say, you know, an empty wall. And then I have them take some masking tape and tape off a, a little 2 by 2 inch or 4 by 4 inch square or so on the wall. And suddenly they see all these little pinpricks and dimples, and the skin of the wall is a, is a specific texture. So the, the masking tape, that little framing device, uh, turns a nothing into a something. Uh, it turns it uh, into a into a. Um, it gives the students a different kind of awareness, uh, and that's a nice metaphor for me. It's a nice a nice kind of analogy, I guess, to what goes on in in a lot of situations in everyday life. If I ride through the landscape, if somebody rides through the landscape in Northwest Ohio and doesn't see anything, most often it's because they're not looking closely enough. Is it because they're not paying attention? Uh, if if um, if we look at a given situation and we don't see anything, oftentimes it's because we're not paying close enough attention. We're not really um, getting into um, uh, a different kind of context, a different sort of, 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 of reality. And little masking tape experiment helps to make that visible to them. Yeah, that might be that might be something that um, is stolen. Um, it's just a simple framing <laughs> device or a reframing device, you might say. Well, no, but it's it's an interesting problem, and I think you know something again, kind of dealing with the same subject matter. I mean, I, I've kind of described it almost as um, you know, you just become so used to seeing familiar surroundings and and unfortunately um well you don't always get a lot of change up from that you know i mean um you know you can you can you can say you know living in ohio um and you know I, you wondered or at least i wondered you know necessarily how different some of those experiences are and, and especially you know having, having shown work in the past where people are like oh these you know older older pieces for myself where you know people were talking about how you know i'm making these paintings from southern california and you know i'm from mm -hmm. illinois you know um and so it's that that whole that whole being able to see something anew is, and, and stay in that frame of mind is uh, 
is kind of an interesting dilemma. Yeah, the, sub- the suburbs are the same way. You know, if, if people drive through the suburbs and they see a featureless blankness, oftentimes it's because they're not looking closely. Oftentimes it's, it's because they just can't develop the energy or the willpower to, to um, sort of get past what seems to be a kind of surface uniformity and see diversity under, underneath that. It's almost always there. Uh, but it's it's a it's about a willingness to to uh, to, uh, to to, uh, to to go beyond uh, prejudices or stereotypes about a given uh, a given subject, uh, and, I, and that's a big part of what I try to impart as a as a uh, as a teacher um, to not accept generalizations about things quite so readily, but instead to look and to verify on on, on their own. In a lot of ways, David, it's kind of a basic figure ground relationship. A lot of students are pretty good when the figure ground distinction is obvious. You can see a figure against a setting. You can see a house against a landscape. You can see a mountain against the sky. Um, you know, those are obvious figure and ground. Um, um, the, the distinction between figure and ground is, 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 is obvious. When the, the figure and ground distinction is less so, when you're looking at something that at first seems to be undifferentiated, it gets a little trickier. And, and, and um, the students are less comfortable in that situation. They, they, they don't always have the capacity or the desire to look into that and try to sort things out. So, um, you know, you just you, you, you want to get students past easy formulas about 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 uh, about what's going on around them. Sure, sure. Well, and and um, to kind of get back to maybe a little bit of a distraction, we've only got a couple of things left. But um, you know, you talked a little bit about um, some of the things that you read for enjoyment. Are there other other kinds of uh, distractions that you might uh, highlight? Uh, I do um, like to ride my bike. Whether I'm right. writing pictures, whether I, whether I'm uh, uh, taking pictures or not, or whether I'm drawing or not, I just I like I like uh, I like going slowly. Actually, I'm not a racing, I'm not a road racer. I don't like to go out there for uh, for um, uh, I don't know, stri- you know, like like turning into a strenuous sport. I like going at a nice pace and looking around me and 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 and, and letting the landscape unfold around me and going past the same things every day and seeing what's changed and and what hasn't changed. Uh, um, I love uh, working on the house and taking care of the yard and all these basic things that I guess are sort of, uh, they all add up to um, constancy, I guess. You know, doing familiar things in a way that um, gives you a kind of sense of belonging or a sense of habitation. So. I hear you. And, and so just just so I have an idea of this for, for what kind of uh, genre of music to look forward uh, for your introductions, um, uh, what kind of music do you wind up uh, uh, listening to? I guess I'm, I'm pretty eclectic on music. Uh, I go all over the place, you know, from from uh, what do you say, rock, alternative rock, uh, uh, folk, blues, jazz, classical. I've been spending a lot of time listening to, to newer music, uh, uh, contemporary music, Morton Feldman and Philip Glass. And right. Music based on repetitive structures and slow moving change over time. Well, and I, I find, you know, again, it's just a really interesting um, in terms of that environment because I've talked to people that, um, you know, I, I have to listen to something while I work. At least I, you know, there might be a time where I'm trying to finish something up and whatever it is that I'm that I'm um, listening to has been off for 15 minutes and I don't even realize it. Um, yeah. But it's just interesting because there's people that wind up then preferring, you know, to work in complete silence or, um, you know, it, it's just interesting to, to find out what people wind up in terms of that studio practice, like what, you know, what I guess kind of feels comforting to them or, or nurturing, I guess, in a weird way. Um, but um, the couple of things that I have left are, you know, really just um, if there's any anything that you think that um, 
you know, be worth worth sharing. Some maybe like a show that you've seen recently that um, I don't know made you rethink things a little bit or um, take notice. I guess. Good question. Um, what have I seen recently? That's you know, you're talking about museum shows or uh, uh, really just I mean, I mean, really just anything because you know, I mean, I mean, it won't be a show, but but uh, recently uh, at the Toledo Museum of Art, um, they have. Uh, put back on display a little uh, still life painting by Giorgio Morandi, painting that had been in storage for quite a few years. I remember seeing it when I first moved to the area and visited the museum, but for whatever reason, they put it down into their, into their, uh, into their deep storage, and it hadn't been out for a long time. Uh, that painting uh, was brought out again and put on the wall about maybe three months ago, mm-hmm. and to see it again, it's just a, it's such a, a little revelation of a painting, a wonderful little um, uh, uh, painting. Uh, really just a... Um, as unspectacular a painting as you could possibly find uh, in terms of, like, uh, gloss or glitz or, or hey-look-at-me quality, but just a, such a solid little painting that, that, that you know, in, in a way that, 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 that serves as a touchstone for people who, who might imagine that uh, doing less is, 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 is actually more. Um, the idea that doing a few things well and doing a few things deeply uh, can be more important or as important as doing a lot of things you know, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a kind of, a, um, in a kind of more superficial sense. Uh, that, and there's a, another little painting, I guess I'm making a plea for visiting the Toledo Museum of Art. <laughs> uh, there's a little landscape painting by Odolon Radon. Uh, I don't know if you're aware that, that uh, early in his career, he did this beautiful little series of plein air paintings, paintings that he made directly out on location in southwestern France, where he was living at the time. It's absolutely a little jewel of a painting that, that has sort of Radon's, uh, character, a little bit of oddity and strangeness in, in the way the space is constructed and the way the color is set up, um, but it's tied to this um, matter-of-fact descriptive vision as, as well. It's an absolutely little, uh, beautiful little painting. I'm trying to convince the curator at the Toledo Museum to do a show of these paintings, these little early Radon landscapes. Sure. Well, and, and again, I, you know, it's there's just always so many... With, with such a vast world of interesting things to look at, you can't, you know, if, if in, you're not... In one sense, I didn't ask your, answer your question because you asked me things that might have changed my uh, my outlook, but these have only kind of confirmed my outlook. Sure. And the, and the, and the Radon. Well, but I was just going to say, I mean, you know, it's, it's you know, you can, you, it, it's very easy to find inst- interesting things to look at no matter, you know what I mean, where they are. I mean, they could be, you know, um, something at the... At the like a tiny, you know, you know what I mean? A tiny gallery somewhere, you know, something that, that doesn't, doesn't see or register anywhere on the map, you know I mean? Right. Um, and especially interesting too, because we were talking earlier about just that idea of going to a museum and, and just kind of being, being that environment. And it's very easy to find a, a, you know, places where you might just go in and look at one or two things and leave. These paintings are like that. They, these two paintings are, are, are the kinds of pictures you could make a whole visit about. Right. You right. Go and sit in front of them for an hour and, Sort of let them, you know, you might say enter into the, the, the time and the space of the painting rather than asking the painting to come to your kind of more, more everyday sort of time and pace and space. You know, sure. so it's like meeting the painting. It's a, these are quiet little paintings. It's, a, it's like going to where they are rather than expecting them to come to where we are. Well, and, you know, it's one of the best, you know, it's one of the most fun things about art is discovering things like that. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's so easy to it's so easy to miss them. Sometimes rediscovering them exactly. Sure, sure. Well, and so my last question is just if you if you have anything coming up that um, you know uh, people would like to take notice of and, and check out if they can. 
just pl plugging away in my uh, studio. I'm hoping to show my work at uh, Shaheen again in the fall um, and uh, at uh, the Miller Block Gallery in Boston in the, uh, in the spring. We'll see how those things work out. Excellent, excellent. And are they all um, rel relative to the same uh, series that, that you've been working on, or are they... Yeah, um, basically, um, variations. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm now doing kind of individual portraits of houses in, in the city of Toledo, kind of little um, nondescript uh, mid-century modern sorts of houses that, uh, that uh, don't have any sort of particular um, architectural value to them, but fascinate me in their ordinariness. Excellent, excellent. Well, thanks again for chatting with me today. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you, David. I enjoyed it a lot. Thanks again to Charlie for joining us today. You can find more of his work at Studio Break and then also at various other galleries online like the Sheehan Modern and Contemporary Art Gallery in Ohio. You can find a whole bunch of his work that way. And I've been told that he has a website that's in the works being designed right now, so hopefully that'll be up soon. Remember that if you like this episode, there are 26 other episodes at studiobreak.com, complete with slideshows of artists' work, along with an in-depth interview. If you like, you can simply right-click and save target as to get the MP3. You can listen to it in the provided player, or you can check us out at iTunes and subscribe under podcasts there. Of course, if you haven't done so already, please check us out at Facebook. Like us there. You can find out all about new episodes coming up and find out more about things like this MFA and BFA competition due May 31st. So please check that out and apply if you're a student. Our song today is Bicycle Waltz by Goodbye Kumiko. You can find that at freemusicarchive.org. And last but not least, if you don't know what I do, just go to davidlinoway.com to find out. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you real soon.